0: Hello, I'm Dave and I'm the guy that puts this stuff together and this is a Getting Better Acquainted special and so it's a different format from the usual weekly conversations that come out on the podcast. To finish up the personal season, we have the personal episode. So I'm going to share with you some true stories that I've told on various stages around London over the last few they were all recorded at Spark London True Storytelling. And you can find out more about Spark London by visiting us at www.sparklondon.com or by checking out our podcast, which you can find in all the usual podcast places. I host the Hackney Open Mic that takes place on the second Monday of every month at the Hackney Attic, which is upstairs at the Hackney Picture House so come and get better acquainted with me in person there and share your stories on our stage. The true tales that I tell you today will often be expanding on events that have been touched on here and there in previous episodes of the show. Breaking up the sound of my voice talking will be the sound of my voice singing. Most of the tracks used in this episode are from the Open EP, which I released earlier this year. In fact, you'll hear all of the songs from that EP, plus one more, in today's episode. Each song in the open EP was a song that I wrote about my personal experiences, but each one was reinterpreted by a different producer, forming five very different tracks that are also expressing a consistent person's experience. The EP was inspired by spark london and also by getting better acquainted each song is both a personal revelation and a collaborative conversation the producers had the final say on what they did with the songs the only thing they couldn't do was change the lyrics so that explains what today's show is going to be
1: and here it is i need to get better please make I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. I am currently
0: fertile, but I'm only going to remain fertile till May. Around May, it's hard to say exactly the date I'll stop being fertile, but this is the story about why I'm no longer fertile. So, Me and my partner have been together for 12 years and during those 12 years, we had no accidents uh, with condoms breaking, apart from once uh, last year, where we got really rat ass drunk and it broke twice in a night. And the next day, obviously, was an awkward moment. And we went to get the morning after pill Uh, which we discovered when we got there, I couldn't get for her. She had to go in herself. And the experience of this, and I should say, neither of us want children. So the experience of, of, of being in this situation where something was happening to somebody else's body that was my responsibility, and I couldn't control her choice, because I believe wholeheartedly in the woman's right to choose. And I was pretty sure that she would choose what she did choose, which is not to have a child and to take the morning after pill. But I didn't, like, I that wasn't, I couldn't control that. She's not pregnant, she's fine. Uh, after that, I went away over Christmas. This all happened relatively recently. I went away over Christmas to Prague with my mother. And while I was in Prague, we were talking a lot, and I was talking to her about how I didn't want to have children, and we were talking about how I didn't want to be like her and uh she was saying how she understood that and how she can understand why i don't want to have children and sort of after i came back from prague i wrote uh, a song about how i did not want to have children for sure and i did not want to pass on my genes my nature my nurture whatever i did not want to pass that on so i came to a conclusion that i was going to get a vasectomy And so I went to the doctor and they were quite hard to to convince because I'm a 31-year-old man in a partnership and they don't really believe that I'm not going to want to have children. And even if I don't want to have children, again, it's all about my partner. The Most of the questions you get asked if you're a man going to get a vasectomy are about whether the woman that you're sleeping with is going to change her mind, Uh, which is fine and I understand why those questions are asked. But obviously, this for me was about my choice, my decision. So... I forgot about asking the doctor to get a vasectomy because we went, I went on a waiting list and, you know, you forget about things when you're on a waiting list. And then all of a sudden, phone call, vasectomy next Friday. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, this is happening, uh, which is what I want and wanted what happened. So... <laughs> i uh I, I get this phone call and i'm like, great and they're like well we you may get a letter uh, in time but if not you can sign up the uh sign the permission when you get there uh for your for your operation on friday so i'm like okay no problem i have fridays off so that's convenient and uh i get a letter on the wednesday that says hello you're having a vasectomy blah 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 before you come to the operation you need to shave your scrotum And I was not scared about the operation, but I was fucking scared of shaving my own scrotum. So I'm like ringing the doctor saying like, "Where? how much of the pubic hair do I have to remove? What? How does it, like what kind of, they weren't getting back to me. So I went to uh, the next best doctor, which was the internet. And the internet told me not to use an electric razor. And I can say that is, that does seem to be the case. I used an electric razor to sort of trim and that hurt a lot used a, a a normal razor with some blades but with those bars on if you're sensible and uh, so that's what i did i sat down uh on my bath to shave my scrotum I was listening to a podcast about a uh an American comedian who had died and who was a drug addict so this kind of podcast going on at the same time as shaving my scrotum actually did give me a little bit of perspective because this was a horrific story that so I was listening to and I was like oh well I am only shaving my scrotum uh so I, I sort of while I was doing it I was reminded that we all begin as a woman and then become uh different at a certain point or not uh and uh this i'd never looked at my balls i'd never realized how much fucking hair they had on them uh and i felt a bit bad about all the women i'd uh, asked to sort of you know get involved with those balls with their tongue uh i mean i wouldn't have a problem with that much hair myself i'm i'm quite hair positive but uh i did sort of change my opinion about what i was asking people to do uh at that moment and also um yeah just it, it's it's fucking scary and weird to have shaven uh, private parts for, for me anyway. Uh, and when I got out after shaving, my girlfriend was generally very uh, sympathetic generally in this whole process. And she, you know, she she agrees with it. She agrees with the, the reasons I'm doing it. But she did uh, point at me and say, you look like a monkey and laugh for a long time, which was not great. Anyway, so uh, on the Friday, I go for the vasectomy and I get to the clinic and I get... The vasectomy for the first time explained to me, and Jesus is weird, you know, you've got these tubes that go all the way up into your stomach, which is why if you get kicked in the balls, it hurts in your stomach, which made a lot of sense to me. Uh, <laughs> Not that I've been kicked in the balls that often, but enough times uh, for that to resonate with me. And what they do is they basically remove over an inch of tube from each side of your of your scrotum. And those are those tubes are called the vas, and that's where the vas from the vasectomy comes from. So they they So there I am, I take off my my trousers and uh, the doctor and the female assistant, um, well, it could have been a female doctor, so I should say the male doctor and the female assistant are uh, operating basically on my uh, naked, shaven genitalia. And I'm sort of drifting off trying to sort of like go to a sort of, meditative place while this is happening. And the music's quite easy listening and calm and calm. And then suddenly a rap tune comes on by accident. And he's like, I'm sorry, I don't know how this happened. And then it's like, your love gives me so much pain. And I'm like, what the fuck? That's like too appropriate. But it wasn't very painful. And it did what I wanted. Uh, afterwards, I, uh, the doctor showed me <laughs> the vast tubes. And they made me really hungry because they looked like... Uh, really tasty Chinese food or something, like these little, like, red bits of inch-long meat. I was like, I really want to eat those vass. But I didn't eat the vass, and I I, I left and went to buy some uh, proper supportive pants on the way home, because I hadn't realized that you needed to have them, and I don't own any supportive pants, although now I do, I own loads. And apparently they come in sizes, and I didn't know, and I bought small, and that caused a lot of problems. I'm all healed now. I'll tell you something about having a vasectomy. You've never seen your balls as bruised as you will after that. And I was like, I had to check on the internet again to see if this was normal. And it is normal. You should have bruised balls after you've had a vasectomy. So if any of you ever have a vasectomy, don't panic. And I got to say that now I feel absolutely in control of my own destiny in this respect, that once that May comes along and I take my little sample and they tell me that I'm no longer, because that's the thing, the tubes may have gone, but there's a load of sperm on the other side of the tube, tubes, so now is the time. If anybody wants to be impregnated by me, this is the time. But I, uh, I feel like now I have complete control over my own body and that I will never have to put anybody else into a situation where they will have control over my future. Very much.
1: Remember those walls we built? Well, baby, they're tumbling down. They didn't even put up a fight. They didn't even make a sound. I found a way to let you in, but I never really had it down. Standing in the light of your halo, I got. my Burning through my darkest night You're the only one that I want Think I'm addicted to your life I swore I'd never fall again But this don't even feel like falling Gravity can't forget To pull me to the ground again Surrounded by your embrace Baby, I can see your halo you Know you're my saving grace You're everything I need and more It's written all over your face Baby, I can feel your halo I pray won't
0: fade away The song you're listening to is a cover of Halo, halo by Beyonce and halo. it was mixed by Stephen halo. Harvey You can find him on Twitter at D-H, and he's available for producing music tracks or for teching your shows so reach out to him there or you can drop him an email tech at standuptragedy.co.uk I thoroughly recommend him he is an excellent guy and really reliable in the best kind of way for me this song is about my partner Jen and process of us opening up our relationship. To hear more about that process, have a listen back to last week's episodes, the second week of the personal season, which is a two-part Everywhere conversation you know, with Jen, where we cover many, many things. Embrace, and one of them baby is that. I can see
1: You, hello. you know you my saving grace. you everything I need and more. It's written all over your face Baby, I can feel your halo I pray it won't fade away
0: telling stories in this in this location is I'm not the host and people don't know I'm a good good storyteller so I'm really glad that Radcliffe has told you all about that so so thoroughly before I got up on stage so don't have any high expectations lower them now Uh, that's my suggestion I am someone who is very clumsy but the thing is about that is when I look back at it I've generally been very lucky in the fact that I haven't managed to damage myself more seriously in my life and ever since I was a little kid I really 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 wanted to break something because I wanted to have like a a plaster cast but I I never managed to do so like there was one time I was concussed three times in one year but I never managed to break anything you know uh, there was a time I like fell off my skateboard and I fell backwards and I slid all the way down the the hill and my whole face was grazed uh, and I got back home and my mum was like, oh, God, now they're going to think I've beaten you up, right? But I didn't have any kind of plaster cast as a result of that. And it's always very frustrating. It's really frustrating me. I even managed to, like, break a toe twice when I was a teenager, but never anything serious. If you break a toe, you don't get a plaster cast, which is rubbish. If I'm going to break my bones, I want a plaster cast. The moment when I really should have like, been seriously injured was when I was, I was playing dodgeball in the corridor in my house, right? The corridor was quite a thin corridor. I don't know why me and my little sister were playing dodgeball, but our home was in between the, fr- the two glass front doors, right? With a tiny space like that, was home. We had to get there, and we were safe. But it was between two glass doors. And so I'm running, and the ball comes at me, and so I jump forwards to get into this space that is not actually big enough for my body to fit into. And I sort of, my arm goes up, and I felt like I was fucking Superman, right? Because I was like eight years old, and I was flying through the air with my hand stretched out like this, But luckily, because I was in the shape of Superman, I just smashed through the bottom glass window of the door and sort of lay there in a Superman-like shape. And I've just got a tiny little triangle scar on my arm. No plaster cast, right? Very disappointing. But as a result of that, my mum who used to be a nurse was very calm in this situation. My mum was not calm very often when I was growing up but in crisis she found some calmness from somewhere and she sat down with me and she gave me a warm cup of tea and actually the stroke of luck really in the story is I don't have very many fond memories of my mum at all through my childhood but this is a fond memory when she was calm and giving me sweet tea and making me feel loved which was rare uh, so that's the end of my story we bringing a bit of a downer because I, I guess I am the something or other of tragedy anyway
1: a flicks which that you weren't expecting a sudden change and then it comes down but you let it come down Like a bulldog clamped onto your flesh. It just won't let you go and it brings you down. But you let it bring you down. Oh, where will this spiral begin? Oh, where will this spiral begin? from my mother, she got it from her mother too, but it lives in you. you can see it in our eyes, a warning that it is coming down, we will bring you down. to improve on the last generation too, but it lives in you. Every generation wants to improve on the last generation too, but it lives in you.
0: This song was mixed by Martin Ostwick. Martin makes wonderful music under the name The Sound of the Ladies. And you can find that music at www.thesoundoftheladies.com. He's also on Spotify, so you can have a try before you buy. And he releases a monthly podcast which features a different track that he's composed. He does lots of other things that aren't music related. So to find out about his podcast stuff, his science stuff and everything else that he does, follow him on Twitter at Martin Austwick, A-U-S-T-W-I-C-K. So I'm stood on a stage a little bit like this one, looking out into a whole room full of people they are not just people they're teenagers they are my contemporaries i am also a teenager it is the i i was in cardiff that's like a talent show uh, if uh, if you don't know what that is like a music talent show and i was going to perform in a male solo competition for some reason i chosen to well i think because i couldn't play any instruments i had chosen to do an a cappella song and I'm looking out into the eyes of all of these people and they are looking at me and they're kind of jeering generally. I haven't started singing yet. They're jeering. They're, uh, they're generally sort of jeering using a name that they used to call me, which I was kind of known throughout the school by this name. This name was Melvin and it was given to me by a boy one day in a classroom because he thought I looked like a Melvin. I reacted badly to that, and so the name stuck. It didn't just stick, it went viral. So everybody in the school called me Melvin. As I went through the corridors, people would shout, Melvin, uh, it sounds funny. Uh, It was not for me. It was funny for them. Yeah, they, they had a great time with it. And so... They were jeering at me like that. There was a lot of kind of homophobic uh, element to what they were saying. Not that it matters. I am not gay, but I'm not masculine. So that makes me, in their view, gay. And so there was lots of that stuff. And I was scared. And I started singing kind of halteringly, falteringly. And the wise man said, I
1: don't want to hear your voice. And the thin man said, I don't want to hear your voice.
0: And at the end of that phrase, I stared at them some more. And I thought, I'm not really strong enough to finish this song. Now, I tried lots of different ways to prove I was strong through the time that I was bullied by the entire school. Uh, (laughs) in this way and it wasn't you know it wasn't just names occasionally it was fists very rarely a lot of the time it was feet kicked and stuff in the corridor and and quite often it was spit So uh, I just want to make it clear it wasn't fun, yeah. So I tried lots of times to to prove that I was strong to these people. The problem being that I'm a pacifist, and I was a pacifist back then. It's quite hard to prove that you're strong to people if you're not prepared to hit them. There was a time when a, a little kid had been shouting Melvin at me, and I grabbed him, and to demonstrate that I could beat him up if I wanted to, I threw him on the floor... But the corner of, like, so, of, of the music room door kind of got in the way of his head. And uh, it, there was blood everywhere. And I ran away, like, sh- shaking. Thought, I thought I killed him. I had not killed him. Scalps just bleed a lot. It was just an unfortunate thing. I was sort of taken away. I was shaking. I was given tea to, like, warm, sweet tea to, like, get me over my shock. Uh, and the next day at school, all the teachers had gone around, like, th- saying, well done for, like, cracking his kid's head against the wall so it was that kind of a like not I was, I felt very weird about that experience of being told by these teachers well done when I'd done uh, done violence which I don't approve of the next time I tried to show I was strong was when I picked up a guy by the scruff of his neck and held him up on the wall so that his feet weren't touching the ground to prove that I could beat him up the problem with this kind of uh, dramatic gesture was it didn't take into account the fact that his friend was going to jump me from behind knock me on the floor and then a girl was going to hold me down while him and his friend kicked me in the face uh, repeatedly smashing my glasses a complicated thing as well, because I didn't feel like I could fight back against the girl who was holding me down for for kind of reasonable reasons of being against violence against women. But that did mean that I was kicked repeatedly in the face, and my glasses were broken. So again, quite a complicated intersection of different things going on there. All of that kind of came into my mind. There was also I sort of at one point I wrote an article for the school magazine to to expose what it felt like to be Melvin. I know it sounds ridiculous, and it kind of was, but it was like to try and speak to all of these people to appeal to their empathy, uh, but then when I handed it in to the teachers, they said, well, maybe that's going to get you bullied a lot more. So that was another attempt at being strong that was quashed. And I guess this was kind of my last attempt at being strong. I was nearly, nearly out of sort of sc- school I was nearly into the sixth form and when the sixth form would come around I would not have the same kind of issues There would still be bullying but I would mostly be able to avoid it and I would kind of come into my own a little bit but that wasn't then this was kind of the end and I was standing there and I didn't know if I could be strong enough to carry on singing but then I could and I sang the rest of Radiohead Stop Whispering Start Shouting and I sang it a cappella. And the room did not stop jeering. It wasn't like a Hollywood movie. Everybody didn't go, oh, wow, he's, he's great. Let's, well, we, we take it back. They didn't do that. They just kept on jeering. And I finished. And then I walked off the stage, and I walked out of the room, and my friends who i just recently made, who had my back, walked out of the the room with me and we walked out of the hall where the uh was being held and i walked out of the school and le- I left the gate you know through the school gates in the middle of the school day because fuck it i didn't give a shit anymore and i just we left i lit a cigarette i walked down the road away from the school and i don't know if i felt strong but i think i felt like I don't know I had some strength in me and they weren't going to take it away
1: when you're young life there's a wave 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 that surrounds you with its sound 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 covers you in water makes you think that you will drown drown covers you in water up
0: Mixed by my friend Alex who decided to use a processed version of the original demo that I wrote so I didn't intend this for airing to the world but Alex thought that it worked in this format Alex is a very close friend of mine who I've collaborated with musically lots and lots over the years his episode of getting better acquainted is definitely worth a listen but if you want to get even more personally acquainted with me, have a listen back to the episode where he guest hosted Getting Better Acquainted and he interviewed me. He has a very different interview style to me and that episode is most certainly an enjoyable one. I felt lost and it's also a story about a time when quite a few people in lots of different ways got lost. This is a story about a stag night. Now I am not very keen on stag nights. I don't really like being in groups of men particularly. Uh, I have sort of issues with men generally. There we go and uh, this stag night was a a stag night for a really good friend of mine who I met at university who is a bit posh, I guess, and the theme of his stag night or stag day really was one of the, you know how people make more of stag nights more and more, and they become like weekends now, well this was at least just one day it was a stag day, uh, and the theme was gentlemen explorers, and everyone was supposed to come dressed up as gentlemen explorers now. I have a problem with men, as I've already said, so the gentleman part of that was problematic for me, but also I didn't really fancy the idea of dressing up like the Empire, because I've weirdly got a problem with the Empire. and so I didn't dress up as a, a gentleman explorer. I kind of went for some kind of... I can't really remember the costume. I was trying to remember it for tonight. But like some kind of anti-costume costume to like make a point about how ridiculous the costumes were. And I sort of got there and I sort of pointed at my, my, my joke and nobody laughed and everybody like looked like I was being a bit weird, so I, uh, I decided to to to, to just uh, get rid of most of this costume. But I did keep the tie on, uh, and that will come back later on. So we get to the so the the, the party starts at my friend's house. Well, no, it starts in a, a cafe nearby, and we have sort of a cooked breakfast, and then we go back to my friend's house where we are going to be playing Risk. <laughs> And I don't like board games either. So I'm, I'm completely lost uh, already. So there's a load of gentlemen explorers around a table playing Risk, and I'm at the side hating risk and making sarcastic comments about risk and just generally trying to kind of play down the whole idea of winning a game because I'm a bit uncomfortable with the idea of winning games as well. This story kind of shows how I'm very negative about many things. I apologize for that. So it starts like that. We're drinking gin and tonics. So we very quickly get very drunk um, and we go out to the local park and we play balls. I didn't plan this stag night, obviously. Everyone gets really, really drunk playing balls and we kind of get involved with some of the local kids who've never seen bulls before and it gets all a bit confusing and the kids kind of like get a bit cheeky and I don't really know how to handle that so I'm already, I'm feeling a bit lost here and I I end up swearing at one of the kids which was a mistake. I work with children, by the way. Another friend who is a teacher felt very awkward about this interaction as well. We go back to my friend's house and, and what's happened now is the theme of Gentleman Explorers is being subverted by some other forces in the stag night so there's a guy called jed who i also know from university who's also quite significant in this story who decides it should be more of a fucking stag night you know so uh it, suddenly it's arranged we're going to go to soho we're going to go to do karaoke then we're going to go from karaoke to a burlesque club in islington so suddenly we're piling into cars and i'm in a car with three people i don't know as well as other other people who are there uh, one of them being jed and uh, we're in this car and I'm really drunk and I'm talking about this new rapper who was new at the time called Kid Cuddy who had an album called Solo Dolo and I can remember that Kid Cuddy was called Kid Cuddy and I was the level of drunk where you wind down the window in the car and you start shouting at strangers, who wrote Solo Dolo? And then they get very annoyed and you get into central London and suddenly you're saying, who wrote Solo Dolo and men are coming at you with their fists? So my friends in the car were not very happy about my behaviour. So there's already kind of complicated uh, masculine tensions brewing, probably not helped by the fact that I consider them to be complicated masculine tensions. And we get to the karaoke bar and it's me and these two guys in this room and the rest of them haven't made it and there's all kinds of chaos and I'm singing but it's not really working and I keep skipping the tracks by accident and this is infuriating the other people I'm with because we just basically spend half an hour with me skipping the tracks. We don't even get to sing a song because I'm stupid. What happens then is we kind of pile out from here and a guy called Simon takes me and gets me a coffee because I'm that level of drunk that I need to be bought a coffee because otherwise what the hell is going to happen next? Things are kind of calming down. I think Jed goes into a, a, a sex shop to buy something humiliating to give to the groom when he arrives and we kind of all get together back and find each other in this pub, and uh, I, then I'm talking to Jed, and I'm drinking a pint of Coke, because I agree I should sober up at this point. And uh, Jed's got a really white T-shirt, you know, like really white, and he's got, underneath that T-shirt, these really honed abs, you know? And he just looks so buff. And I just think, wouldn't it be funny? If I just tip my Coca-Cola all down this whiter-than-white T-shirt. So I do that, expecting everyone to laugh, especially Jed. He doesn't laugh, obviously. He's very, very angry. He goes to hit me, but he's not a bastard. So he grabs my glasses and runs out of the pub. And I kind of wish he had hit me because I I prefer to be able to see when I'm in central London in a pub. But uh, I I go out and I find him and uh, I find him in the street and he says to me, Dave, the problem with you is you're just like Alan Moore. Now, Alan Moore is like my hero. Uh, I've always wanted to be like Alan Moore. He makes these amazing comic books and... uh, I don't. I don't really know what to say to this aggressive compliment. And and then he says again, "I'm telling you, you're just like Alan Moore. You're like Alan Moore. You know the problem with you, Dave, is you're going to make it big someday." And I'm like, "Wow." fucking hell I've always wanted to sort of make it big I guess I don't really I don't I have a problem with the concept of making it big too surprise surprise but I've always wanted to be successful at what I do and so uh, I have this confusing situation where I'm being berated for being cool after having been a wanker so we kind of patch that up we patch it up by by finding the stag and rubbing ice into his face to help him Because he wasn't, you know, he was quite drunk. And then we all kind of pile up and we go into this burlesque club. Richard the Stag, he froze up a number of times. It's pretty horrific, really. Uh, And we're all sort of feeling lost. We get to the, the burlesque club and the burlesque acts have just finished. And the music comes on and the DJ starts playing. And I remember that I've got this tie on. And I just think, wouldn't it be amazing to dance with this tie? And so I get this tie and I'm like dancing with this tie in the middle of the dance floor. I'm like doing Chinese ribbon dancing with this tie. I'm doing somersaults over this tie. I'm just having the best time dancing with this tie. I mean, maybe the best time dancing I've ever had. And I'm just like dancing and I'm dancing and and my friends are dancing. And suddenly I don't feel lost. I feel found. And at the end of the night. This girl comes up to me, who I'd been dancing nearby, who was incredibly attractive, and she asked me to come back home with her. And I turned her down, because I'm in a long-term relationship, but I had never, ever been asked, uh, propositioned, let's say, by a woman in my entire life. Up until that point, I'd only ever propositioned women and generally been rejected. This day, when I'd felt so, so lost to begin with, ended with me feeling found in a way that I'd never really been found before. And that is the
1: end of the story.
0: Thank God.
1: Come around and fall all over me Sleep, cause I can't sleep. I just can't sleep. Because I can't sleep, I'll watch you breathe. I lie awake and wait for you to arrive. I need you here get me through the night cause I can't sleep how i just can't sleep. sleep because I can't sleep I'll watch you dream oh I wish that I hadn't been drinking I wish that you were here waiting for you to come around and fall all over me come around I'll watch you sleep that's fine cause I can't sleep how can you sleep because I can't sleep I watch you dream, I need to sleep, oh I need some sleep, I need to sleep, oh I need some sleep.
0: That song was mixed by Shamim. You can find his stuff over at Musical Asylum on SoundCloud. So that is soundcloud.com forward slash M-U-Z-I-K-A-L hyphen A-Z-Y-L-U-M. The normal stuff he does is very different from the track you have just heard, but he's really great. What he does, so have a listen. So, I was really seriously bullied at school, I guess not in a physical way, but in a kind of absolute outcast scapegoat. Everybody sees you, knows your mean nickname to say at you, and everywhere you go, you have no friends. And that was kind of my life for a few years at school. And I I moved to Cardiff. I was an English person in Cardiff and I had some issues at home that made me an easy victim, I guess. I was just kind of crying out to be poked because I would shout. One day I was at the bus stop waiting to go to school and a kid called Rob, I found out later, goes, Melvin! which is what everybody called me. And I sort of slouched down, ready to be treated to some pleasant kind of homophobia or any kind of negative responses. And he said, uh, have you got a fag? And I, I did have a fag because I smoked. So I'm 15 and I smoke. Didn't stunt my growth, but it is destroying my lungs. I said, yeah, I've got a fag. And suddenly this kid who, you know, was... is. is the kind of kid who in Cardiff you call a bra at the time in the nineties. A bra is a kid who who goes safe, bra, safe, and they got a big uh, like puffer jacket and they wear kind of, uh, you, you know what, you know the kind of person who they are. And I don't believe in scapegoating people and uh, treating them like they're other. So we'll leave it there. But he was one of those kind of kids, and I was the kind of kid that gets bullied. But I gave him a cigarette, and suddenly. He was all right with me. He thought I was safe, bruh. So I got up to the top deck of the bus where you could smoke in those days. Well, you couldn't. You weren't supposed to, but you did. And rather than getting bullied that, that journey to school, I had this kid called Rob who would stop the other kids from bullying me. A few kind of months later, I think, I was... Doing what I used to do, which is going on the knock from school, which is the kind of expression for not going into lessons. I didn't go to lessons because I used to get bullied in lessons. So what was the real point? I was sort of hanging around the school, smoking like, at the outskirts of the school. And a different kid who I subsequently found out was called Phil. He comes up to me and goes, Melvin. And I'm like, oh, God. And then again, he's like, have you got a fag? And I give him a fag. And then he is another, he's like year seven, right? I'm 15, he's year seven, and Rob is year eight, right? They haven't met each other, but one day I'm walking around the school and the two of them are around and I kind of introduce them to each other and they become a kind of, criminal team of masterminds, really. I mean, I used to sort of see them around quite a lot and they'd always ask me for a fag and I'd give them a fag and uh, they'd say things like we went down Bowdy Island yesterday oh, it was great, we were joyriding we had these bricks, we were sticking on the accelerator because we couldn't reach the pedals. And I'd be like, yeah, man these kids are alright, they're safe, they're they're being nice to me and yeah, they're criminals, but they're they're not being criminals to me, so I enjoyed the entertainment value of it. Uh, One of the other things they said to me is, Melvin, if you want to Rob a house, what you need to have is always when you leave your house, have two pairs of socks on. Cause if you go up to a house and you wanna rob that house, uh you can take one of your pairs of socks off and it gloves, they're gloves. And if you haven't got two pairs of socks, then what you wanna do is you wanna rob a house where they're hanging out there washing on the washing line and grab their socks. Which is very logical, and uh, if you want to rob a house, that's what I, I guess you could do that, but I wouldn't advise it because it's a criminal offence. So that was fine, and uh, I had these two kids who weren't the kind of kids that would normally stick up for me who were sticking up for me. Yeah, they were littler than me, which is uh, socially awkward, but at the same time, they were they were arguing my case. And then I became a sixth-former, and I became kind of friendly with the teachers as well as with some other children of my age, which was nice. One day, I, go, I, go, I see Rob and Phil coming towards me, and I say, hi, guys. And they're like, hey, Melvin, guess what we did? We robbed the car, the car from the lab technician last night. And I went into the rest of the school. And uh, yeah, the lab technician's car had been robbed. And all the teachers who I was now friends with were talking about who had robbed this car. And they wanted to know who had robbed the car. And I didn't grasp Rob and Phil up. But I did the next time I saw them say, hi, guys, look i can't be socially interacting with you anymore because you're telling me things that some other people i socially interact with want to know and i i I don't want to be in this position where i grass you guys up but i don't want to be in a position where good nice people i know whose cars have been stolen don't have their cars and i could help them find that car so that really is the end of my relationship with rob and phil but uh, I guess if it hadn't have been for me, they would have never found each other, which is nice. But not so nice if you wanted your car not to be stolen in Cardiff in uh, the mid-90s. I cut all the stories about my dad as they've all been covered extensively on GBA before. This is a song which has been featured a number of times on Getting Better Acquainted, but this is a new take on it.
1: When I was nine, you would read to me from that book every weekend. When I'd come to stay, I'd sit there all morning listening to your voice in the middle of... From the sickness that infected his life
0: this is a, a story about something that i did with the best intentions that i regret like very 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 fully i wish that this had never happened and i'd never done what i what i do in this story so it was Early in the morning, and it was a Sunday, and I was going to a rehearsal with my band that I had at the time. I came out of Borough Station, and I crossed the road, and I went into a Starbucks there to have a coffee while I sort of got my shit together, because that's what I like to do if I'm going to some some place. I I don't like to be there just on time. I like to be there really early so I can think a little bit before I go into whatever I'm doing. So uh, I was sitting there in Starbucks and just like listening to music. And probably looking at it was a little bit before I got a phone, so I would have been reading something just keeping myself in my own little world. And a man came out of the toilet and he sort of like went up across the room and he started shouting at another man uh, who was sitting with his daughter and his wife. I discover later, but he, it, it, at the windowsill, there's, that, at the window, those three people are there, and this man who's come out of the toilet starts shouting at them, and he gets very aggressive. This man who's come out of the toilet. Now, the man, he was kind of like overweight and quite scruffy, I guess. That was what I noticed, like, out of the corners of my eyes I guess at that time and then this argument starts getting more and more heated and they start sort of like getting very aggressive and then they sort of like push their way out of the Starbucks and the you know fists are thrown and it's getting uh, in, intense and I I'd, I'd have this experience which I have quite often in my life which is that uh, I find myself doing something when I didn't expect to find myself doing something and I've left the Starbucks and I'm sort of trying to work out how to, to stop a fight from happening which is not something I'm very suited to doing they're rolling around on the floor and the guy that had just been sitting innocently at the window sort of like grabbed the other guy and was like going to smack his head into the, like, curb, like, proper, like, a kind of potentially death blow and I got it and I sort of so that snapped me into action and I stopped that from happening and I grabbed the guy 's head and I stopped that from happening and some other people came along who were much more masculine than me and that sorted it out a little bit better but the initial the initial thing had been stopped and so a lot of sort of adrenaline going through everybody the guy that had instigated the the fight left ran away and I sort of went to my band rehearsal but when I went to to my band rehearsal, I made the mistake of telling the people in the Starbucks that I'd just be over the road having a rehearsal. And so the next thing I knew, the police wanted me to come over and uh, give, a, give a statement to them about what I'd just seen. Now, I I gave the statement twice, uh, first to a, a special constable who told me that he was a police officer, and then to the actual police officer afterwards. I'm not making a judgment. I'm saying that I was not given the information correctly the first time round, and that's the point. When I was taken through that first statement, you know, I did, when they write it down, you, it's not exactly what you're saying, and you sort of like feel like they're they're creating a narrative, and you you, you know that's a weird experience to have to sign your name to, and. I went through that twice and then I went away and then I thought about it and I thought well I'm not going to be a witness really in this case because it was a bit on both sides the actual guy that hadn't started it would have really finished it in a bad way so I didn't know who exactly was to blame but I I just didn't know if me giving evidence about that would be helpful but then I discovered that you have to give evidence if if you've given a witness statement or I've been lied to again Um, Either way, I end up going to the magistrate court to be a witness against this assault. When I get to the magistrate's office, I am taken into the room with the uh, victim of the assault and his family and the other witnesses, and we're all in a room together where we can freely confer about what happened where i can find out that that person is a person and he's got you know that he, that he you know that he was sad about what had happened and he was stressed out uh, about the experience and his wife really really wanted the guy to go down but he didn't necessarily agree with her but there were, but it was still a situation where we could talk about it and in that room as well there were some other people who were finding out that they would come to court to be witnesses to a crime that had occurred but the the evidence had been gathered incorrectly and so they that, that That whole trial was called off and they had to go. So I wasn't feeling very confident in the legal system at this stage. And I still don't feel confident in that legal system. Because then I went and I gave evidence in court. And during giving that evidence, the person who was asking me the questions kept on like making it sound like I was lying. And that made me say the truth more strongly. And so that was more damning truth. Right. Like I found that entire like interaction problematic because I didn't think like I wouldn't have said strong things about this incident. But because of the way that I was hand- handled in that courtroom, I said stronger things than I would like. And then I went in after I had given evidence. I went back to the to the room and then I went in for the sentencing and I heard the sentencing. And the, the man that got sent to prison that day had a mental health issues, right? He was homeless, right? He comes out of a, of a, of a bathroom and he, uh, he, yeah, he gets aggressive with somebody and some sort of uh, aggression happens. But that doesn't have to be a situation where somebody goes to jail for time. Because when you go to jail for time, that changes you in different ways. And he doesn't necessarily deserve that. But I couldn't say this in, in that room. I had to sit there and listen to this sentence being passed that I absolutely disagree with. I think is immoral sentencing. But I was responsible for that sentence because I had given evidence against that man. And I am here today to say that I'm very sorry about that. And uh, I hope that he... Uh, I don't want him to forgive me. I just hope that he's all right, really. Uh, And that's the end of my story. Track that isn't on the Open EP that's featured in today's episode. It's a live version of an old song. It isn't exactly personal, but it does contain me struggling to find words to express my experience of depression. I had to work it up recently for Stand Up Tragedy, and, and when I was working it up, I recorded it.
1: Planet can't leave this planet. No one will let me go. So
0: my gran grew up in a kind of working class village in Yorkshire and when she, uh, it, during the Second World War, she was in, uh, in London, I think, or, or a different part of the country anyway, uh, being a nurse during the war, and she met my grandfather, who was a doctor, and they... Uh, they Fell in love, I guess, formed a relationship at least. And he was kind of from an aristocratic, landed gentry kind of family. He had sort of grown up in India under the sort of colonial uh, system there. And he'd kind of come over to the UK and become a, a doctor, a consultant. And, and he had sort of like... Uh, class in her view, that she wanted to be that class. And so she took on the accompaniments of that class. She started using uh, a different voice, very much like Hyacinth Bouquet in, uh, in Keeping Up Appearances. She, she put on a posh accent. She uh, started making dinner parties and and being a, a cook that was making sort of posh food. And uh, that was kind of the main thing as kids we sort of knew about Gran is we would go to Gran's house, we would have an awkward silence and lots of tension between the adults but we would get to eat some nice food at the end of it. But thinking about food now, one thing that happened to me at my Gran's house is I sort of saw a bowl of what I thought was Bombay mix on the table, picked it up, uh, had a bite and suddenly I realised I was, I was eating dead flowers uh, and it was uh, something that I would come to, to mistakenly believe was called potpourri. Uh, later in life. But uh so we're we're on the way to my gran's house and uh uh on the way to my grand's house my little sister gets car sick and she is throwing up in the car and there's lots of stress around this vomit situation reasonably so I guess but we get to my grand's house and we think vomits over that's okay we can try and pretend that we can fit into this kind of sterile pretend posh environment my gran had cooked uh, pavlova for pudding so we ate like the main food and then the pudding came and I had one bowl of pavlova, and it was like you know crack to me as a child so I was like I want more of this pavlova so I was like uh, I'll have more and I just you know thought yes I can just keep eating this pavlova forever and there will be no repercussions for this uh this is heaven uh and I kept eating it and then my gran was like eat some more you know she's one of those she was one of those women that, that that wants to feed you all the time if you're a young man um and so she kept feeding me she kept feeding me she kept feeding me she kept feeding me and my granddad who was very old he was much older than my gran anyway uh, was at the end of the table in a wooden chair um, and pretty immovable uh and you know to he that's on my left. On my right is, you know, three different people. So there's no real way out either way. And I suddenly realise that I've eaten so much that I've gone, you know, Ancient Roman here, and there 's uh, food cre- creeping its way up my up my tubes, uh, preparing to to be very unposh uh, in the living room so I, I stand up and I, I, I want to get out, but i can 't get out because my granddad can't move really and he can't understand what I'm trying to tell him which is move because I can't speak because I realize if I speak I will vomit. Uh, if I open my mouth there is going to be vomit. So I sort of stand there and I wave my hands. I stand up at the dinner table, wave my hands. Everybody in the dinner table looks at me like what's going on? You know has he been, has he been possessed by the devil? Who, who knows why he stood up. He's waving his hands. So I can't keep the vomit in and I vomit into my hands and I'm stood there looking around the table and my gran just looks like the ultimate of disappointed in me and I still can't get out though so I'm stood there with vomit and my granddad's not moving and there's more vomit coming and so I don't really know what to do so I place the vomit onto my plate And catch the next lot of vomit. And then, yeah, eventually my granddad gets moved. I find my way to the toilet. I dispose of the rest of the pavlova. Uh, But thankfully for my mum, the uh, fact that my sister had been carsick on the way up there meant that she could uh, give the white lie that we must have some kind of tummy bug illness and my abysmal gluttony could be sort of uh, tucked under the carpet. But I'm pretty certain that my, uh, my gran was aware that it was greed rather than illness. And that is how I've chosen to end tonight. Thank you very much for listening to The Personal Episode. This episode is the last of a five-episode season called The Personal Season, which gets really into my personal issues, I guess, my personal life, and the personal lives of a couple of people who are close to me. So it started off with two episodes with my dad, In the first one, there's me trying to get out of my dad more about his experience of having an open relationship. And then there's another episode with my dad where we talk about his experience of being a father all through the ages, our relationship together, and the fact that he is now getting closer to death. Then there's a two-part episode with... Jen my partner where we get into stuff about her in the first episode and then in the second episode we really explore our relationship really opening her up to scrutiny in a way in a way that makes both of us feel nervous listening back and it's certainly nerve-wracking to have that out there but it's out there partly because it's us coming out about fact that we have an open relationship and talking about what that means and why we came to that conclusion after 11 years of very happy monogamy and to top it off is the episode you've just heard so have a listen back to those if you haven't heard those before Please spread the word about Getting Better Acquainted. If you're a regular listener, why don't you recommend some of the episodes that you enjoy to your friends and get them to have a listen. Spread the word because that's the only way that the audience for this show can grow. Another way to really help Getting Better Acquainted get a wider reach and get better acquainted with more people's ears is to write an iTunes review, which doesn't take any time, doesn't take any money, and it helps... Getting Better Acquainted to rise in the ranks of of iTunes, whatever that means. Lastly, another way to engage with Getting Better Acquainted is to tell me what you think. Tell me, talk to me, give me some responses. You can email the show, gbapodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at gbapodcast. And there's also a page on Facebook. So there's lots of ways you can communicate with me. What do you like? What episodes have you really enjoyed? Have you had any interesting thoughts as a response to episodes? Am I a really annoying host and is there ways I could improve that? All of these things, reach out to me. Let me know what you think. Thank you very much for listening. This has been the personal episode. Normal service will resume next week. And for a few episodes, I'm going to be trying to present some of the least personal episodes. But when I say least personal, I mean for me, not for the people that I'm talking to. Thanks, bye.